0: Welcome to
1: the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones.
2: Hey, this is Andrew Olson with the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm here with uh, Roy Jones again today. Roy, how are you? Very good, very
0: good. This is gonna be fun. I love when we get to team up again with old teammates. So it is great seeing Karen again.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I totally agree. Welcome Karen Aaron to the show. Karen, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, fellas. Thanks so much for inviting me to join you today.
2: Yeah, super excited to have you here. So Karen is the Executive Director of Palm Beach County Food Bank. And as Roy said, the three of us might have done some work together in the past, (laughs) uh, might have caused some trouble in some places, uh, but had a lot of fun. And Karen, uh, I'm excited to be on this call with you today to talk about uh, leading in extraordinary times. I think there's a whole lot going on in the world. There's a whole lot going on in your community. And uh, I think our listeners will be really excited to, to hear some of the wisdom and insights that you have
1: on this topic. Well, I don't know about wisdom and insights, but certainly there's a lot to, to mull over. Because um, you're absolutely right, Andrew. These are extraordinary times for us all.
2: Absolutely. Hey, before we jump into those, to the, the real meat of the conversation, take a couple of minutes and just tell our listeners a little bit about, about who you are and about Palm Beach County Food Bank.
1: Hmm, thanks so much. So, yes, I'm the executive director at Palm Beach County Food Bank, and I, I've been in nonprofit. I moved over from the corporate world about 15 years ago. So, I was in corporate advertising and marketing uh, and became a fundraiser at a food bank, came up through development. I was fortunate enough to be executive director at a Ronald McDonald House Charities chapter. Then I worked for nonprofit uh, fundraising organization uh, where I might have encountered you two fellas uh, and many other good folks. Doing I take the work. Fifth
0: Amendment. So. Say again, Roy? I, I plead the Fifth Amendment.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, love that we were just figuring out that I'd been to uh, a prospect prospective client with one of you one time and the other of you the other time. (laughs) So uh, I came to Palm Beach County Food Bank about three years ago. I actually moved here from the West Coast uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, First of all, I'd been a CEO and I'd been um, at a food bank, but I'd never done both at the same time. So I had an unrealized professional goal in that regard. And then there's some pretty extraordinary components about Palm Beach County, its hunger relief system, and the Palm Beach County Food Bank uh, that I'll just touch on really briefly. So Palm Beach County Food Bank's a really young food bank. Most food banks across the United States are 30, 35, or even 40 years old. But Palm Beach County Food Bank is only eight. And we were founded because uh, food pantries told community leadership that they didn't have access to the food that they need. So the Community stepped up, which I always love it when that happens, founded the food bank. In addition, in 2015, uh, they brought in FRAC, the Food Research and Action and uh, University, and they conducted a countywide hunger relief study, uh, interviewed almost 200 organizations, crafted a plan, which compri- is comprised of 10 goals. And there are still over 100 organizations that come together around tables uh, to work on that initiative Mm -hmm. to decrease duplication of efforts, increase best practices, increase collaboration. So uh, it's a really unique community, very philanthropic, as I'm sure you can imagine, and also almost 14 percent poverty rate prior to COVID-19. So a lot of wealth and a lot of need in the same community.
2: Yeah, it always always uh, astonishes me how a community the size of a place like Palm Beach County can have all of that in, in you know, driving distance from one another. You know?
1: Exactly. Right. We're 2350 square miles. Uh, so spread out and um, really so many socioeconomic and cultural variables within that space.
2: So you said the word. You said COVID-19, I uh, did. Let, let's get into that. Again, we're talking about leading in extraordinary times. And if there are extraordinary times, I would propose that these are them. You know, we, when I think about leading well in a crisis, in my mind, that assumes that somebody was a healthy and capable leader to start with, hmm. right? So talk to us a little bit about what you see sort of to baseline the conversation as some of the most important characteristics that a, a healthy leader can possess.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. So so pre-COVID-19, and I probably would say the same thing today, uh, I used to always say um, the key to professional success is a willingness to see yourself clearly. Mm. So I think that transparency is an overused word, but I think it is a critical word. Uh, when you are a leader, I think you should first take a good hard look at yourself and Appropriately assess your strengths and weaknesses, and then I think you can share them both equally. And both what you do well and what you acknowledge that you do poorly or need to do better inspire the people around you, hopefully. Good stuff.
0: Well, that transparency part is, is, I don't know about you, but it's pretty hard for me sometimes. Talk about that.
1: Well, I pre- you know, Roy, I-, I think there are a lot of people in the world that wish transparency were a little more difficult for me. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I guess there's different kinds of transparent. When it's when it's, when it's talking about the stuff I don't do well, yeah, I'd rather hide that rather than tell people, hey, I'm weak in this area, I need you to cover my back here, help me with this.
1: You know, that's so true, and and of course, Roy, I think that's a natural and universal human inclination. So one of the things that I do with that is I practice. So for example, I might um, say to my leadership team, listen, I'm sorry, I feel like I could have done that better. Mm -hmm. And so when you, when you start it, I think with, with a smaller group of people that you know and trust, and then it becomes more comfortable and you can take it more broad. Uh, Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I think that 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 willingness to say I wish I'd done that better or golly y'all I really feel like I, I messed that up resonates so deeply with people and they appreciate it so much uh, that again it, it, it just becomes easier as you as you do it more
0: mm.
1: but you know I, I I hear you because I can you know when when we're talking about something or and and I start feeling defensive I'm like, okay, Karen. You know, there's something that you're you're uncomfortable being transparent about. So you, you might want to figure out why that is, <laughs> and do something about it. Yeah,
0: so, I, uh, I'm one of these guys that has to hire a direct mail company just to do my apology letters. But that's uh, that's, uh, that's why I've got so much experience in junk mail. So,
1: <laughs> well, you know, I hear if you outsource that, you'll get it three times more, and you'll
0: just less <laughs>
2: oh my all right i I actually want to stay on this transparency piece because i think it's a important component of leading in crises as well Uh, karen talk to us you know obviously there's a lot changing very quickly right now oh my Uh, gosh not just you know not just all over the country but but even i mean for you at the food bank right Mm -hmm. so how do you as a leader manage the the sort of balancing act between telling And communicating with your your team what they need to know in order to not be paralyzed and to move forward and to deliver on program but not telling them so much that it just scares the heck out of them and you end up with people freezing and not being able to deliver for you what's how do you strike that balance
1: well it's such a great question and i I don't think there's a i don't think there's a concrete answer to that question andrew Uh, what i'll tell you is um, in quickly changing times that there's a, a I love mystery books. Um, so I grew up reading Dick Francis, who's a British uh, mystery writer, and he writes about r- racehorses. And in one of his books, one of his, uh, le- the leading person in the book said, thought before action any t- every time you can. And so I'm a very decisive leader, um, but I have learned uh, over time that you don't always have to tell everything you know. And so one of the things I try to do is, my inclination is to say things quickly and say things immediately. Uh, But particularly in times of chaos, when all of us are overwhelmed with just copious amounts of information and everything feels important, I think it becomes even more important to take, take a deep breath, sit tight for a minute, and sort of see if it is, is it is as important as it feels at that moment. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you know, I think one of the things good leaders do is try to protect your team, try to care for them, try to make sure that they have what they need. And at the same time as a transparent leader, right? You want to honor them. You want to honor their ability to, to make good decisions and, and and know the true situation. So it is a balancing act. And I think the, what I've learned is you, you sort of do the best you can at the moment. And it's, it's been a learning experience for me to realize that if it is important, it will remain important. So you can choose to share it, right? If you blurt it out and it really wasn't important, you can't take it back.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, and, and to your point, if you blurted it out and it wasn't important, it just became important, right? <laughs>
1: That's such a good point. That's such a good point. Because I'll tell you something that I'll never forget. The first time I became a CEO, which was back in 2010, and I got to work for Ronald McDonald House Charities. i have been a fundraiser at a food bank. And I called Phyllis Haynes, who was my CEO at the Arkansas Food Bank. And I said to her, golly, I said, you didn't mention that you have to be so dang nice all the time. I said, "Because, because... because your opinion matters, whether or not it should, frankly, right? Simply because you are the organizational leader, every word that comes out of your mouth has weight to somebody on your team. Mm-hmm. And so you have to really honor that. Uh, and for a girl who blurts things out, it's been a learning experience to to just smile and and, and say, Okay, I hear you, I understand, and and then see what really matters.
2: Mm. Wow. So I want to follow up on that because you're you're right. Every word that that we do say has weight. But also in a crisis situation, I think it's it's even more important. You know, it's it's tough for leaders to get candid feedback anytime. Yep. But in in a fast-moving crisis, we need it more. Such because, a good
1: point. Because
2: the risk is so much bigger. So how how do you with your team go about making sure that they feel like like there's uh, an open door for conversation, and they can give you feedback in the moment that's constructive, and 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 particularly in a crisis situation that you can use that to really pivot and hone what you're doing.
1: So that's such a good question, right? And I'll tell you something. Speaking of transparency and self-awareness, which is that the more cha- we all respond to chaos in different ways, we all respond to what feels like a crisis in different ways. I become more authoritative, right? And so one of the things that I'm really careful about is reading the room and reading my team members and making sure that I'm not just listening to what they're telling me, I'm listening to what their body language is telling me. So this sort of goes back to one of the things I think is really important, which is we don't become different leaders in times of crisis right? We become more intensified versions of ourselves, (laughs) I think. And so whether it's uh, communication, whether it's transparency, whether it's the opportunity to have feedback, we're building on what we have invested in previously. So I have always said to my team, I do not want to be surrounded by people who tell me, how smart I am and how right I am. You know, I want us to be better. We can disagree about business because it makes us stronger. And so I've had experience with my team members that sometimes like when, if they may feel, you know, Oh, I don't want to disagree with her. You know, uh, you can read that in people. And so I say to them, okay, so I, I hear you telling me that's okay. But, it seems like you might have some concerns. Or it seems like you might have some questions. Let's talk about that. And I, I think, I'm not, I'm certainly not, I certainly am imperfect at that, but my team, as I think for any leader, is so important to me. They work so hard and they put heart and soul into this work that we get to do together. We want them to be as delighted as possible to come mm-hmm. to work every day and to get to do this work of feeding people in need, especially right now and they're so white Yeah. And, you know, I, I say to, I said to them not too long ago, we had a socially distancing team meeting for everybody who was on site and we were outside and everybody was six feet away from each other. And I said to them, you know, none of us ever expected a global pandemic much less did we expect that we would be doing essential work Mm. in a global pandemic. So I really try to look at each of them when I'm speaking to them and hear not only what they're telling me, but what they wish they could tell me. And Mm. and then we we work together to hopefully draw that out. That's good stuff.
2: I, I wanna stick on one little piece of this regarding you know kind of the communication you've had with them recently around the crisis what you know whether it's big stuff or small stuff what are the kind of things that you're doing right now to help keep your people motivated mm. to keep keep them focused and, and all moving in the same direction at a time when so it's so easy to just kind of get stuck where you are you know
1: so that's an interesting question would you ask me that again
2: what what are the things that you're doing on a daily basis maybe it's multiple times a day to to keep people motivated and mm-hmm. focused and and really kind of all going in the same direction right now you know all all three of us probably could say yeah there was this hour yesterday where i just kind of sat and went what the heck am i supposed to be doing right now like you know there's just so much noise how, how do you how do you navigate that
1: yeah so great question so for me it feels like a couple different questions actually this situation is keeping my team motivated. So Palm Beach County Food Bank, we are feeding people in need and we had what we thought was extraordinary need before COVID-19, but that is continuing to increase. And the business challenges at every component, whether it's receiving uh, less donated food, whether it's uh, a third of my partner pantries uh, suspending services, whether it's the significant increase in phone calls of people saying they need food, whether it's people showing up, you know, uh, one of my volunteers that we're, that is again, socially distanced, bringing over a hundred pounds of food. Every time he comes in to volunteer, like our work is inherently motivating. Mm -hmm. Separate from that, how do I try to keep my team as grounded as possible and care for them in these what are really mentally challenging times, right? First of all, I'm going to tell you with unequivocally, I sure don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. So compounding our challenges are the fact that so many of us have made either all or a majority of our staff, everybody we can, work from somewhere other than our centralized office. And so I am in and out of the food bank, right? So again, what I do is I make the rounds, I look people in the face, I say, how are things? How is your family? Is everything okay? Is there anything you need from me? And I, I do my very best to listen and hear what they tell me. And I have some extraordinary leaders at the Palm Beach County Food Bank and I have extraordinary team members. And so how do we you know, uh, continue and honor our culture of caring for each other? Uh, I think that's a that's a that's a group uh, opportunity in addition to a, a leader's opportunity.
0: Let me ask you the other side of that to that coin. So you got to deal with a problem. Somebody yeah. blew it. Somebody made a mistake. Somebody did something stupid um, <laughs> in this virtual environment. Uh, how does that happen? What does that sound
1: like? Yeah, great question. So I think that. So first of all both of you probably know, I have a, at my heart, I am a very emotional leader. Mm. And so in, in good ways and bad, right? Like I, I've, I used to love just reacting when something happened. Like it made me feel, made me feel better, <laughs> but it was so disruptive for the team mm. uh, back to what we were talking about. People care when their leader is upset. Right. So I've I've learned a lot and trust me, there are days when when I forget what I've learned, but but I've learned a lot about holding my tongue and holding my reactions. Um, So it is difficult for me to imagine a situation at this moment where I would uh, express to a team member that they have screwed up. Mm -hmm. Right. Because. Because these are extraordinary times for every single one of us. Now, I'm not telling you I would ignore something that that has the opportunity to damage my business or damage my team, but I, I think I would try to say, "Hey, you know, talk to me about what happened. Talk to me about why we approached it that way. You know, I have learned over the years, and then never more so than in the last." Three weeks, the value of being kind.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: So, hopefully, I will remember that at all times, (laughs) uh, especially when it's most challenging.
0: Less old Baptists call that preaching yourself under conviction, but
1: um. (laughs) (laughs) you know. I, I wanted to reciprocate in, time, in kind, but all I think about is that's Episcopalians speak to each other. When we see each other at the liquor store.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> Baptist too, especially the last three weeks. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that, you know, that, that is true. And again, being kind is not always easy. Um, oh my
1: gosh. You know, it's not my inclination to be honest with you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I should be ashamed to say that, but, it it, it 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 has not been my inclination. Like that that is not the the spirit in which I feel I was raised. I, I, I'm not saying my parents were kind, I don't mean that. But I, I was taught to I was I, I was taught a lot of things. I, I, somehow it took me until I was an adult to truly understand the simple, deep value of kindness. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful to have that opportunity, and I, I, hope, I hope I hold on to it, you know. Like I said, especially when it's most difficult. I
0: mean, my, my situation is I, I like to vent. Me too. I'll get, I'll, I'll get loud. But then it's over. And then it's like, okay, let's
1: hug it out. Let's go. You know, it's over. But, you know. For you. So there's... Kat Landa, who the three of us also worked with, y'all, she said to me, she said, it's like you're a speedboat. She said, and, and the wake that you leave behind, you're over it. You've moved on. She it, said, but the rest <laughs> of us are bobbing in the <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and it was so, that was so helpful for me. I'm like, oh, I get that. Mm-hmm. So I try to find either, you know, member of my management team who, you know, they're half a step away from giggling or rolling their eyes at me, Right. Yeah. Uh, or a friend, or someone who who is not directly impacted by my desire to vent mm. and and my claim that I'm an I, I'm an a uh, external processor.
0: Right. <laughs> if I yeah. don't say
1: it, it didn't have
0: different <laughs> rules than other people. We don't <laughs> we don't have to play nice.
1: <laughs> well, it's I mean it's so self indulgent as a leader. So it it those are some of the the things that I work on hardest.
0: Mm-hmm. We're we're alike in a lot of ways. Very similar leadership style. Yeah. Sounds like we're learning a lot of the same lessons.
1: Oh, I love that, Roy. you know that's what happens when we get to our age.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm still just a young pup. <laughs> uh huh. I'm not even going to wade into that conversation.
2: <laughs> but I am gonna I am gonna change directions on us. <laughs> uh, so, Karen, this might be an uncomfortable thing for us to talk about with some listeners, but what I'm seeing, and I think you guys probably can attest to this as well, is that it appears that some organizations and some leaders in in our space, but certainly certainly in the government, were surprised by this crisis Hmm. in a way that they probably shouldn't have been
0: Hmm.
2: and have been sort of paralyzed and unable to really get unstuck and move their organizations forward. So I'm I'm curious, I know that before we started recording, you you shared with me uh, briefly that, you know, this isn't the first crisis that you've had to lead through. Talk to us about, um, you know, what are the things that you learned early on in your career that prepared you to be able to walk through a crisis like this and lead a team through it in a way that didn't get the entire organization stuck?
1: Oh, golly. So, so, so you know we've been talking about leadership styles and and sort of i think there's there's what we're born with and then there's what we work to develop so being stuck is never my challenge (laughs) right? even to my detriment right and so so in some ways i was born to lead in a crisis Uh, now business as usual not so much that's not my strength right and and certainly So in some ways, it's really not about, uh, Karen, you know, what are you doing differently? How are you uh, stepping up as a leader? Because decisiveness um, and pushing are sort of innate qualities for me. So I think it's more some of the things that we've been talking about, which are how do you channel that? How do you um, accommodate others uh, so that? People are comfortable because moving forward is, is not, is not where I'm challenged. If That makes sense. It does. We, we will not be stuck. I mean, I, I I literally, so I've I've had the opportunity to, to take organizations to the next level or to, to, to do some turnaround uh, leadership. And I literally have said in interviews for almost 10 years now, if this organization is a business as usual organization, I'm not your girl. Now I could have done without so many challenges all at the same time as I know we all could have, but, but I I think I'm a, I'm a pretty good wartime leader.
2: So we've been talking about how do we lead internally in this entire conversation, but talk to us a little bit about what you see the role of a leader in a crisis like this as it relates to communicating and engaging with donors and your general public in the community?
1: Yeah, so important. And and you know, I've had to give myself some guidelines. So let me tell you what I mean by that. So, I've, I've inst- so I, first of all, and this is an internal issue, so excuse me while I answer your question briefly in that regard. So my leadership team and I meet every single morning for half an hour right now because everything is changing so quickly, right? And then in addition, every Sunday, I send my board an update. This is what happened this week. This is where we are. This is what we're looking at. Every Monday, I send a video on our, on uh, Jeff Cleaver's fabulous platform, ViewSpark. So what happens is I had to institute some specific guidelines to myself. Uh, to ensure that I kept my constituents in the loop. Mm -hmm. I think that the most valuable thing any of us can do as leaders right now at this moment in time is to be as calm as possible. Mm -hmm. Things are so scary. They are changing so quickly. We are at really, truly, I continue to believe the very beginning of this. I think the ripple effects will be extraordinary. Uh, this is the third week in a row I've said, I think that shelter from home will happen for the next eight to 12 weeks, right? So it's a rolling time frame. So we have an opportunity to make things better or make things worse. And at the most fundamental reminding us all that one way or another, we will get through this and one way or another, things will get better again um, we will handle this together. Bring people as much assurance as possible, not not false assurance, right? But just it, we got this. I think being calm is is really important. I think ongoing communication is really important. Um, so within those communication points that I mentioned all those factors we've talked about. Be transparent. Uh, see yourself and your organization clearly. Communicate, build on the trust that those folks have in you and stay in touch.
0: Would you, would you apply those same rules to how you're communicating with donors at this time, Karen?
1: Yeah, great question. So, so my ViewSpark is a donor communication. You know, my, my weekly video And when it, if you're asking me, so from consistency, yes, I hope so. Uh, In addition, I'm having private conversations with my largest supporters. And yes, and, and I'll tell you something, that transparency, because you know, I came to market three years ago in this role, right? Startup organization. And it's an amazing community. I call it the smallest town 1.5 million people have ever lived in. <laughs> you know, the three of us had an opportunity to teach about fundraising. And I think all three of us in different ways in our training sessions would say, you know, every town's a small town. Hmm. Palm Beach County is just the same. And And I felt so honored that so many people cared for the food bank enough that they wanted me to succeed. And they took that care they had for the Palm Beach County Food Bank. And they said, we're going to do our very best to also extend that to you, Karen Aaron. Mm. And so I took that as a great honor. And what I tried to demonstrate in the last three years is I accept that responsibility to feed this community as best as we can. And I accept the trust that you're giving in me and it's warranted. Thus, I'm going to be transparent with you. Thus, I'm going to tell you uh, that I see myself in my organization clearly and I know what we need to be working on. And I also applaud what we're doing well. So I, I had a foundation um, leader say to me uh, since COVID-19, he said, you know, he said, there's ne- I've never heard a funder say, golly, I sure wish I'd been in the left in the dark a little earlier. <laughs> I mean, let me try that one more time. Gosh, I wish I'd been left in the dark a little longer. Sorry about that. <laughs> right. I mean that's yeah. what we all want. we all want to be uh, I think we all want to know that you respect us enough to be honest with us and and you're being honest with yourself. Mm. so you bet uh, I hope uh, that is what how my uh, all my constituents are experiencing me, and I mm. hope that that helps them have additional faith in the palm Beach county food bank mm.
2: I think that's uh that's a poignant point right there and i think that's where we're going to end this conversation this was a good discussion karen thanks so much for being here
1: oh my gosh so i I really enjoyed it uh appreciate the opportunity to to chat with you fellas and and uh appreciate the opportunity to to be on your platform
2: now i know you're really busy but if uh if anybody wants to reach out and connect with you personally uh what's the what's the most effective way to, to do that
1: Absolutely. So Karen, K A R E N, at PBC, which for those of us outside of market is Palm Beach County. Karen at PBC Food Bank, all one word, dot
2: org. Awesome. Thanks again for uh, spending some time with us today.
1: Thanks, you guys. Thanks, good. Well, Coast hey, Karen. listen, take care, be safe.
2: <laughs> hey, you too. You soon.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.